0: Take your Bibles and uh, open up to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to read uh, starting in verse 12 and down through uh, verse verse 31 uh, this morning. Listen then to the the word of God. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison's doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and uh, and sent to the prison to have them brought. And when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door but when we opened them we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words they were greatly perplexed and uh, perplexed about them wondering what this uh, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, "Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people." When the captain with the officers went and brought them We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, uh, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and, and drew away some of the people after him. He, too, perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So is the present case, I tell you. Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even find your, be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called in his apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's start it with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning you would speak to us from your word We ask that you would instruct us. We ask that you would give us courage to to obey God, obey you rather than men. That we would stand up and be on your side and be faithful witnesses to your name, to what you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Sometimes people in authority uh, can be a bit intimidating when you Don't have authority. It can be a little bit scary. I remember soon after I got my license, I was 16. And I remember I was driving home from school and I was driving my dad's truck. And this was out on Guam where we lived as missionaries at at the time. And I remember, you know, my dad had given me all of these warnings all of these warnings when I started driving. And he even told me, if I ever hear of anyone who sees you driving recklessly, you will lose your license. And and when you live on an island, there are only so many roads you can take. So you know that the chances are much higher of people seeing you. And I remember driving home, and I and I make this right turn uh, to go down one of the roads near our house. And, and there's all of a sudden, there's this cop behind me. And he lights up his lights. And I had this moment of sheer panic. I am going through and I'm checking my speedometer. And I'm thinking, did I choose my turn signal? And did I, did I come slow enough around that corner? And all of these, you know, within, within half of a second, all of these things are racing through my head. And I am thinking, I am in trouble. I need to at least know what I did. And so I pull over immediately. And this was all within like, you know, a five second period. And the cop passes me and goes on to some other call. And I start breathing again. Um, authority can sometimes be intimidating, especially when you, when you don't have uh, authority. If you've ever been called to the principal's office or to uh, the boss's office, and you've ever had one of those moments where, where you are not sure what you are going to have to say, I can remember even as a young man at one job I was working with uh, being in the boss's office and having done nothing wrong and just feeling intimidated, shivering a little bit. I don't know why it was this weird uh, situation, but I think it was just being in someone with authority and knowing that if you make a mistake, they can do something about it. They can fire you. You can be in trouble. It is hard sometimes to take a stand for what is right when someone in authority is instructing you to do something that is wrong and even more so in inside the church to take a stand for the word of God when someone in authority someone above us maybe even someone in the government or someone at our job is telling us to do something that is wrong and we in our hearts are saying I'm a Christian And I can't do that. We need to obey God. We need to obey God rather than man. And our main point this morning is we need to obey God and be witnesses regardless of the opposition. There are a whole number of circumstances that this uh, wonderful line by Peter and the apostles, we must obey God rather than man. There is a whole bunch of circumstances in life that it is applicable to. It can be applicable to your family relationships. If a, if a parent tells a child to do something that is wrong, the child is responsible to God first. If inside the church if someone in authority tells you to do something that is wrong, you're responsible to God inside your job, inside your government. And so we can make all of these applications to all of this area of life, but I want us to notice that this passage today is primarily about being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and having the courage in our daily lives to be witnesses even when people bristle at hearing who Jesus is or people even actively speak against it. We need to obey God rather than man and be witnesses regardless of the opposition. So we're just going to walk through this passage as is our habit and and so the first thing that we see is that the Lord commands us to be witnesses. The 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 idea here is that that the apostles are doing what they have been told all the way back at the beginning of Acts, all the way at the end of Matthew, but also In what the angel tells them again. And this applies to us that we need to be witnesses to the gospel. People who testify to say that the Lord Jesus Christ is real and he died on the cross and he rose again. And salvation is found only in his name. We have the responsibility to tell others. So we see here the setting of the early church. The Lord is blessing uh, the early church. Look at verse 12 through 15. And now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostle. And they were together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem. And, and this is actually something we should just highlight that this is going to become important later on because God is actually going to use this. The, the Sadducees and Pharisees are going to actually be intimidated by the crowds so that they part of the reason that they don't do more to the disciples uh, to the apostles is because they don't want to risk an uprising. They fear how the people might respond. Verse 14, and more than uh, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats and as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. You'll notice here that God's people are being faithful to what God has instructed them to do. And they are seeing the fruit of that. Even more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. How is this happening? Well, they are being witnesses. They are sharing the gospel. They are talking to other people. And and it is, it is bearing fruit. And because it is bearing fruit opposition is arising that I think in itself is an important reminder for us that sometimes we think that if I'm being faithful, suddenly everything will be smooth, everything will just clear out, it will open up and and I've done what the Lord has wanted and it is smooth sailing from there on out. And sometimes it's precisely the opposite That it is because you are being faithful to the Lord that opposition comes. It is because you are being faithful to the Lord that you are finding yourself in a difficult set of circumstances. We can be so driven emotionally by what goes on around us. If you've ever been in a hardship, it is so easy to begin to think, why is the Lord letting this happen? And and we can wander in our minds down this path where we begin to question the faithfulness of God. Why are you letting this happen? Don't you love me, Lord? Don't you see what's going on in my life? And then we can even make bargains with God. Well, God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't let this happen. And yet we see in this passage... That it's because of the faithfulness that the church is growing. And because there is this faithfulness to God and God is bringing fruit, it brings more opposition. In one of the passages in 1 Corinthians, Paul has said he's going to stay on. I think it's in Ephesus. He says, I'm going to stay on for a little longer because a door has been opened for the gospel. And you think, wow, what must that look like? And he says, we have great opposition. And you scratch your head and you go, Really? That's what an open door looks like. Uh, I've often imagined, you know, an open door for the gospel would be like you share the word of God one time and 50 people get saved. And and you just can't get, uh, you can't stop talking about it enough. And people are just falling over and crying and repenting. And that must be what an open opportunity looks like. And Paul says we have an open door for the gospel. We are being opposed. So often in life, Faithfulness to God and the word of God causes the enemies of God to be stirred up. And God allows it to happen so that we might trust in him and not become confident and prideful in our own abilities. And so we see in verses 17 and 18, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. They were filled with jealousy because God was at work in the early church and they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And there was opposition. These men did not have a heart for God, even though they claimed to be religious and the leaders. But the early church was growing and God allowed opposition to come. Notice then that they are put in prison and the angel then commands them to continue to witness as he sets them free. Uh, verses 19 and following. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And they heard this and they entered the temple at daybreak and began teaching. So it happens that they are in this prison. They are locked up. We see this many times in the book of Acts. Uh, we'll see it later on when. Um, when James, the brother of John, one of the sons of sun, thunder, is, is murdered, is, is killed, Peter is in jail waiting his execution, and again, an angel comes and sets him free. And the, the angel instructs them go and continue to be a, a witness, and, and go back to the temple. Uh, this would have been the very place where you are bound to bump into the high priest. Where did the high priest serve? In the temple. This is, this is like uh, being uh, arrested, being locked in jail, being set out, let out, you escape, and then telling the criminal who escapes, by the way, walk back into the FBI office and, and, tell, and, and start talking to people. They're bound to see them. They're bound to try to arrest them again. And so it is that they're instructed to be faithful and they respond. They don't even take the day off. Uh, I don't know how late they were up that night. I don't know if they even got any sleep, but they don't waste any time obeying the commands of the Lord. Uh, this is something that I thought of this, this week as I was looking at this. And and maybe it's because the Christmas season. We just a few weeks ago preached on how the angels appear to the shepherds, right? The angels appear to the shepherds and they they proclaim the glory of God, and they tell people about baby Jesus who's in the manger, and the shepherds go to find it. But here, the angel shows up, and what does, who does he instruct to be the witnesses? He tells the disciples to go back into the temple and be the witness. If God would have wanted, God could have had that angel show up in the temple, and the angel could have been the witness. The angel could have said, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, has risen from the dead. These guys that you've locked up are the disciples, and you need to go let them out, and then go and repent. Humanly speaking, we can tend to think, well, that would be the most effective way, right? Who's going to say no to an angel? There's a lesson, I think, for us in this. Who does the Lord send today to be evangelists. Now, of course, we know that we can't evangelize and people can't come to salvation without the power of the Holy Spirit. But who does the Lord send to be the messenger? He sends us. He gives us the responsibility. He keeps us here on earth. The Lord, by and large, never sends angels to witness to people so that they might be saved the lord sends his people he calls us to be faithful witnesses and sometimes we think in our lives we think it would be so much easier if god sent an angel it would be so much easier if god sent someone else to do it remember moses god don't send me I'm not a very good public speaker. No, Moses, you're the one that's going to go. Sometimes when you're a pastor, someone will say to you, will you come and witness to my family member so that they can come and hear about Jesus? There's nothing wrong with that, and I'm happy to do that, but you know who God has put in their life first to be the witness? He's put us. You know who God has, has put in the lives of your people at your job or your neighbors around you? He's put us there first to be the witnesses. And we, as Christians, are to be taking uh, the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says, How will they, the lost, the unsaved, how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So the great hope of the gospel is that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? Everybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ, hears him and cries out, uh, they will be saved. But the idea is, and Paul tracks this flow backwards, how can they call on God? How can they worship God, which is the great, wonderful end of all that God is doing, that people from every tribe, tongue and nation will come and worship him? How can they do that if they haven't? heard. So we track it one step back. Then he says, and how can they hear unless someone does what? Someone comes and preaches, right? Someone comes and shares the word of God. And how can they preach unless they are sent? And then Paul says, of course, as the word of God says, um, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So there's this progression that, that the church is sent out. We are to be evangelizing. We are to share the faith. And as we share the faith, the Lord uses it to bring people that they hear. And in the hearing, the Holy Spirit opens their hearts and, and as their hearts are open, they come and call on the Word. But but God doesn't do this without someone sharing the Word of God. We are to pray. For the salvation of the lost. And I hope that you do that and I trust that you do that. And we do that because God is sovereign in bringing people to faith. God sends His Holy Spirit and He has invited us and delights when we pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would come. But in that asking then, we are not to sit back and, and, and sit and twiddle our thumbs and say, okay, I'm just going to wait For the Holy Spirit and one day he is going to whack them upside the head. The Holy Spirit uses what we call means. In other words, he uses human people. He he could just with an angel or by himself just open up the sky today and and shout the message of the gospel. But God has determined to use a means, an intermediary, a a go-between, an ambassador to use biblical language. That we would go and talk to that person who is lost and needs to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are familiar uh, with with theology and certain aspects of the theology and names that get thrown to theology. And one name that is helpful is is the idea that God is sovereign in all of salvation. It's it's often sometimes labeled or even mislabeled, maybe you could say, Calvinism. And so sometimes people have this wrong idea that, that if God is sovereign, I don't have to, I'm not responsible for anything. And, and sometimes that's even the caricature that, goes, that gets thrown out. Well, if, if you believe in Calvinism or if you believe that God is sovereign, you don't believe in evangelism. Absolutely not. We believe in God's sovereignty over all things, including the salvation of the lost, including the need of the Holy Spirit to come down and open its heart, people's hearts. And if God doesn't open the heart, you and I are never going to be saved because we are dead in our sins and dead people in their hearts don't just come back to life on their own. But how does God accomplish that? He uses people to outwardly proclaim the Word. And when the Word goes out outwardly, God is faithful to His Word and the Spirit goes out and works inwardly. But the two go together so that there must be preaching of the Word. There must be sharing of the faith. So if you have a loved one who is lost, or a friend, or, or, or a neighbor, I hope you pray for them. It's our responsibility to pray for them. Pray for an opportunity to share the Gospel. Pray that the Spirit would work, because we believe that He does work. But then we also have the privilege and the responsibility to seek to be witnesses. The same obligation that the first disciples had is on us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28. John chapter 20, Jesus says, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. How did God send Jesus? He sent Jesus on this earth to accomplish salvation. And part of that was ministering, preaching the word, bringing light into the darkness is one of the themes in in John's Gospel. And then ultimately to die on the cross. But the analogy is, That as the Father sent the Son to bring light to the world, the Son sends us, the disciples, to proclaim that light. There's a difference, mind you, right? Jesus came to actually accomplish the salvation, to die on the cross. Uh, We don't actually accomplish anyone's salvation. But there's an analogy, a point of connection, Jesus came to bring light and minister to those in need. He was sent by his Father. We now are sent by Jesus. So that we, you know, we gather here on, on Sunday mornings for worship. But the six other days of the week, guess where we are? Typically not here. We are sent. We are out in the world. We are out and about. Um I don't know exactly how many are here today. I'm going to guess we have 35 or 40. And if each of you in the course of your week have contact with, we'll keep the estimate low, 25 different people that you bump into just this week alone. resolutions. Ask yourself where the Lord has called you, where the Lord has has put you in your life. He has sent you out into the world, put you in a unique job in a unique set of situations in a unique house with a unique family and a unique extended family. I would encourage you to make one of your 2016 resolutions. That you would pray that the Lord would give you an opportunity to lead someone to the Lord. I'm just going to throw that out there. Put that as a prayer request. Lord, help me to be a faithful witness and use me to lead someone to Jesus Christ this year. And as best as you can remember, pray for that every day. Maybe you have a few people that you want to specifically pray for by name. Lord, please Bring salvation into their life. But then in a generic way, pray, Lord, use me this year as a witness. I would encourage you with just a couple suggestions for how you can then actually go out and and seek to be faithful. The first thing I think you can do is is kind of be ready. If you have that prayer request, Lord, use me as a witness, make sure you're a little bit ready. Maybe it's something as simple as make sure you have John 3.16 memorized. Uh, or pick another favorite one Romans 10:9 and 10 maybe some of you want to carry a, a tract in your wallet or in your purse or or even a gospel of John so that if someone were to to begin to ask you something and you don't know where to start the conversation you have something that you can pull out and say let me walk you through this another way you I think can prepare and be ready and, and even take some initiative Uh, In your daily going about, don't be afraid to have conversations with people. And even uh, if you are like me, you don't like just going up to someone cold turkey and saying, you know, can I tell you about Jesus? Uh, I would not make a good Jehovah's Witness. Uh, One, because it's not right biblically. Uh, But two, just more humorously, I wouldn't like knocking on people's doors. But there are other ways to evangelize. Invite people over to your house. Maybe there's a neighbor that you can chat with or haven't chatted with and you say, hey, let's go out for a cup of coffee. And then maybe in the course of the conversation, you can say, you know, have I ever told you about church? Have I ever told you why it's so important in my life? Have I ever told you what's been happening to me the last year? Maybe you had something uh, miraculous or something that you can really give God credit to. God showed himself to you in some specific way. And you can start the conversation naturally by just saying, did I tell you what happened to me last year? Did I tell you about that illness that someone in my ha- family had and we prayed for it? And, and you might think it's a coincidence, but d- did I tell you how God showed me that it was him at work? And eventually you, you can't evangelize if you don't actually get to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're not just telling people, well, this is what God did in my life. You're telling people, this is what God did. He so loved us that He sent His Son, Jesus. But you can start the conversation in those ways. And then the third thing you can do to prepare is pray for boldness. That sometimes is the hardest thing, to have that boldness to get the initial conversation out of your mail. For me, it's often easier. Once things get going, it's easier to... I always... After conversations, think of, oh, I wish I would have said that. Oh, I wish I would have said that. But at least once it gets going, it's easier. It's always that first, I've got to say something. I feel the Lord convicting me. So pray for boldness in those ways. Let me continue to encourage you as we move on to our second point this morning. We must obey God rather than man. Being evangelistic can actually be a little bit scary. It can be intimidating. How do I start this conversation? Well, I never went to Bible college like Pastor Tim. I wouldn't know what to say. And we can be overcome by fear. And and Paul says to Timothy in in 2 Timothy, For this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. I take that, and I think that should be translated with a capital S. You you realize the Greek doesn't use capital letters or non-capitals. But but in the English, I think we should have that as a capital S to say, God has not given us the Holy Spirit who has fear, but He's given us a Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is not of fear, but is of power and of love and of self-control. And just thinking through, who is the one that helps us be evangelistic? The Holy Spirit, who is not a spirit of fear. Let's keep moving uh, through our passage in Acts. We see that the leaders... Find The apostles teaching in the temple again in verse 21. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And, of course, it goes on that they were perplexed, wondering how this could happen. Then they get this report. Someone comes back to the group and says, look, these are these guys we locked up. Uh, They're in the temple preaching. So you just kind of have to imagine this in your, in your mind's eye, okay? They all gather in the temple and somebody says to the temple guards, okay, we're ready to prosecute these guys. Run down to the jail and get them. And so they run down to the jail and they come around the corner and there are these guards and this locked door and they pull out their key and they're finding the right key and opening it up and they open it and they step in and they look and they go, nobody is here. And and I can imagine in the guards there is this moment of sheer panic. They're looking, did did we get the right cell number? We didn't put them across the hall, did we? I don't know how long they might have looked around for them. I don't know what's going through their mind. But at some point they go back to the temple and they go, we don't know where the guys were. We showed up this morning. The doors were still locked. The guards were still there. And nobody was inside. And I'm sure maybe they even like jiggled the bars if there were windows, like jiggled the bars on the windows. Nope, nope these are still secure too. And then they're, they're all gathered there. They're wondering wh- what happened. What does, and, and it's almost like maybe, and I'm, I'm embellishing here a little bit, but it's maybe like somebody shows up late for the meeting. And everybody's going, well, where are these guys? And they're like, well, I just crossed through the temple courts and those guys were right there. And they're perplexed. How did the Lord do this? So then it says in verse 27, and when they brought them, they set them before. Oh, sorry. Verse 26. Then the captain with his officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they go into the temple. There's this crowd gathered. The disciples are preaching the word of God. The captain and his guards are like, excuse me, guys. Would you mind coming back with us to meet with the Sadducees and the High Priests? Let's let's just go in there. They're, they're being gentle. You know, this is not police showing excessive force where they slam them down on the hood of the car and arrest them and cuff them and because they don't want to start a riot. That that God has blessed the ministry of the word so that even when there are people getting saved, even with the people that aren't being saved, there is this popularity. We want to hear more of what these disciples are saying. Uh, there's a story uh, that when Spurgeon would preach, the Queen of England at the time, and I forget which queen it was, the, the story was that one day on the way out, uh, she, she said to Spurgeon, uh, who was an excellent preacher, she said, I don't like what you say, but I never get tired of hearing how you say it. Um, perhaps some of the crowd was like this. We don't like what you say, but it's pretty amazing how you preach. And let's hear a little more of it. And so they respond and, and they go back and they're taken in and the, the, they are told by the, the leaders of the council, we strictly charge you, do not teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Uh, That that just gives you an image of how popular this teaching is, right? You have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. Did they go everywhere? Did they preach on every street corner, in every nook and cranny? No. But the word of God, God had so used it that it it had permeated into the city. Then it says, um, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, meaning you know, you're know, you saying that we killed this Jesus. You're going to get us in trouble. You're making us look guilty and bad. And Peter says to them, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. I want you to notice specifically in the Word of God where it says we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They don't have a problem per se with people teaching in the temple. They have a problem with people teaching the name of Jesus in the temple. And I want you to think about how similar that is to our day and age. People don't have a problem if you talk about God. People don't have a problem if you talk about your spiritual life. Even if you talk about your relationship with God. But if you preach and teach in Jesus' name, whoa, then you have a problem. Think about how many people are invited to pray before uh, state uh, legislators or down in our nation's capital or even at various events. And most of the time the crowds are fine if you pray in the name of God in a generic way but sometimes ministers are ushered in and are given specific instructions, do not pray in the name of Jesus specifically. People are fine if you talk about God in a general sense, except maybe some of the really strong radical atheists. But most people are fine. It's this idea of exclusiveness, that salvation is found only in Jesus, that our hope is found only in Jesus Christ, that it doesn't matter what your idea of God is, if you are not worshiping God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who sent the Son to die on the cross to save us, you don't know the living and true God. And everybody goes, whoa, wait a minute. There was an incident a couple of weeks ago. A professor out at... At Wheaton College, um, she was trying to do some things r- right or wrong. I, I don't want to get into all of that. But, but she basically said, because there were some Muslims that were being persecuted for wearing head coverings, she said, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, they like me, a Christian, are people of the book. And Pope Fran- as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God. And so the college said, whoa, wait a minute, that, let's, we have an evangelical statement of faith. We believe that salvation is only in Jesus. And so they put her on temporary suspension. And they were going to, I guess, have some meetings with her. to, You know, was this just something she carelessly said? Or, or does she actually believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? I don't know all of what they were doing. But they, I think from all reports they were trying to be fair with her. But it's interesting to me, not so much how they responded or what she said. It's interesting to me how the media responded. As one commentator wrote one, I guess it was a Christian commentator. He said, quote, every journalist in America has been secretly attending seminary and now understands Christianity better than most Christians do, meaning Everybody was on NBC News' website. It was New York Times. There was a write-up in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, If you're on the web, the Huffington Post is a big one. All of these people saying, how dare these evangelicals suspend a woman who said, we worship the same God. People don't have a problem when you talk about God. People don't have a problem with the idea of a generic God. People have a problem when you say, only in Jesus' name do we find salvation. And you will find even in sharing your faith, people don't have so much of a problem when you say, you know, this is what God has done in my life. Well, that's nice. It works well for you. If you say, you know, I used to be an alcoholic and and I I turned to to Jesus and He put my life better, You, you can kind of get a pat on the back. Well, that is really good. God helped you. That's good. But when you say, the Bible says that we find salvation only in Jesus Christ, and each one of us, you and I, need to repent and turn from our sins. Suddenly, it's, whoa, wait a minute. You're being exclusive. You're being mean and nasty and judgmental. People don't have a problem with the generics. People don't have a problem with just talking about God. Just like in Peter's day and the Apostles' day, It was the preaching in the name of Jesus that is offended. In our day, it is the preaching of the gospel and that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ that will offend. And that is precisely what we are to be saying in our witnessing and sharing of the faith. One of the dangers in in our world is that sometimes in evangelism we share only what God has done in our hearts. And because we live in such a a relativistic culture, people are fine with hearing what you think God did for you as long as they have the freedom to go anywhere they want and worship God in any way that they want. That worked nice for you, but it's not necessary For me. But when you preach Jesus, when you actually are sharing the faith, you're not only saying, God did this for me in my life, you are saying, God requires that each one of us repents and turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you lay that out, no matter how gracious and kind and loving you say it, and we should be gracious and kind and loving about it, we should say, I am in need just as much of this salvation. I am just as much a sinner as I am inviting you to turn from your sins. But no matter how loving you are, people are going to rebel against that. The scriptures say the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.16 uh, Remember that. And remind yourself of that this morning. That I must obey God rather than man. And what has God done? Peter says very clearly in in verse, um, verse 30, "...the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging Him on a tree." God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. We say Jesus Christ died on the cross making the perfect penalty for sin. He rose again on the third day and He ascended into heaven. God the Father exalted Him so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We announce that Jesus is Lord of everything. And He will save people who draw near to Him. But He is Lord of everything. And if there's one thing people in authority don't like, it's being told they are accountable to a higher authority. And if it's one thing an American doesn't like, with our independent spirit, that sense of liberty, which in so many occasions is a good thing, but when you tell someone you heaven, and earth. We bristle against it because that is what it means in the human heart to rebel. But we need to obey God rather than man. We are judged before God by how faithful we are as witnesses. It's not a judgment of salvation. We are saved only by trusting in Jesus Christ. But we are accountable for what we do with our time. You are not accountable for how many people you save. You never save anybody. You are just a faithful messenger. But you are accountable. Did you bring the message? Were you an ambassador? Were you faithful? what God called us to be as witnesses. God is not going to look in heaven at a scorecard and say Billy Graham saved X number of people, but you only had three saved. He's better than you. God is going to weigh the faithfulness to the message. So that even a Jeremiah who labors for 40 or more years and has minimal converts. Um, his church, if he would have had a church, it barely would have got above maybe ten people. But he is judged not by the size of the congregation. And, and, and we today, we are. I have nothing against big churches. I have nothing against small churches. But God at the end of the day doesn't judge us by the size. He judges us by the faithfulness to the message. And it is in faithfulness to the message that He will bear fruit according to His will. And for a guy like Jeremiah, that was slim to none. But Jeremiah is going to have a crown of rewards because he was faithful to the message. So, going forward as a church, is our mission to become the biggest church in York County God blesses us that way. I'm not going to complain, right? But, but what is our mission? What is our goal? It's to be faithful to the message. Two, three years ago, you know the church went through a tough time. And we had to ask ourselves, are we going to be faithful to the message? And what is the message? That God exalted the Lord Jesus Christ as leader as Lord and Savior. God weighs whether we were faithful to the message as witnesses. and We relieve the results in His hand. I did have a third point, but we're going to end by saying obey God rather than man. I wanted to walk through some of the stuff with Gamaliel, uh, Gamaliel. I can't even say his name right today. so Maybe that's a good sign. But I want you to notice something. That God is the one that blesses the going forward of the church. And he says, even this unbeliever says, if this is of God, we can't oppose it. And if we do oppose it, we won't be able to stop it. Let that be a source of comfort. Because we are standing here now 2,000 years later, and we are still preaching and proclaiming, That Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Have you ever heard of a guy named Simon Bar Kokhba? Anybody? He proclaimed in like AD 120 that he was a Messiah. And nobody follows him today. Which movement was from God? We sang the song, Who is on the Lord's side? who indeed is on the Lord's side. We need to obey God rather than men. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We just pray that you administer to us through the proclamation of your word uh, and even as we celebrate uh, communion now. In your name we pray. Amen.